Our guest today on the podcast is Seth Reeves. Seth played college golf at Georgia Tech, graduated in 2014, turned pro that year. Uh, so we're you know eight years into professional golf, and it's going to be a fun conversation, getting a window into uh, what it looks like to pursue this crazy game of golf, um, and then how that balances with faith. Uh, Seth has um, a family, his wife Patricia and him have a baby girl who just turned one, called baby Ruth, and hopefully we, we share that um, story from, from baby, baby Ruth. Um, Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's and great we, to be here. And also with us with Golf Live Faith is, is Jay Spar. What up? Man, this podcast is going to be sick. <laughs> Toby and his wife, Lindsay. Uh, always make fun of me because I say sick all the time. And so I'm going to make sure to say sick at least you know, once every couple of minutes on this podcast. Because when I watch Seth hit drivers, it is sick. <laughs> oh, man. What you thought when, you, you know, you did get to caddy for me one time this year and the driver was was an asset. Yes, it was. was. I'm, good. I'm pretty sure that looking back at the stats from those – First two days, you were leading the field in driving. It was a joke. I would say, hey, Seth, what about that tree? Well, I, would say, <laughs> I would say, what about that tree up there? And then you'd be like, okay. And then you'd hit it, and it was awesome. So really enjoyed that. Yeah, off off the tee, yeah, I've been pretty good. I think I've probably had a few tournaments this year where I've missed the cut and yet been top five in driving for the first two days. Man, I missed the cut in Greensboro just a few weeks ago, and I was number one strokes gained off the tee and missed the cut. So I, that's where, uh, that is not the problem with my game. Uh, it's kind of getting it from the fairway to onto the green is where I need some work. Hey, so if anybody has any, uh, good iron play advice, um, <laughs> just send e- these guys a message yeah, e- and, and they'll forward us, it to me. Email us at yeah. podcast at collegegolffellowship.com and we'll get those over to Seth. <laughs> While you do that, um, I myself will be Googling like any shamble events we could play in together. I feel like we would do well. Yes. Yes. I've always, it's funny. Every time I've played those, I'm always the guy where somebody's like, Hey man, I'll poke it out there. And then you just unleash on it. Just, you know, hit it over the trees, you know, send it over the corner, try and drive the green, you know, and, and you're like, I was going to do that anyways. That's, that's turned me into a good driver. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, well, I was. Uh, how about I, I just poke it out there onto the green? That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, Seth, if you could kind of give us a little, uh, a little rundown on where you're at right now. Because um, you're starting the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. You were on the PGA Tour all of last year. Had some good finishes. But like you said, you know, some ones that weren't as great. And so right now you're down on the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. So explain to those that are listening like what that is and what it looks like from here. If you play well these next three weeks, what does that do? And just give a kind of 30,000-foot view of all of that. Yeah, so uh, basically Corn Ferry Tour Finals is for essentially the bottom 75 or so um, from the PGA Tour, those that finish 126. To, roughly to 200 um and then the top 75 uh players from corn Ferry that have you know kept their card 
for that season. And um, those two groups kind of come together and play these uh, play three events on the Corn Ferry, uh, you know, under their playoff system uh, for 25 PGA Tour cards, uh, new PGA Tour cards. So um, that is where I am. Um, I finished um, outside of that top 125 on tour. So I'm going to uh, play these three events and um, try to play good enough to finish top 25 out of the, out of these three events to, to get a, a new card. And it's a fresh start from points, correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah it's okay. a, it's like a, everybody starts fresh. Um, and there's just points for these three events in the top 25, um, point finishers from these three events. So essentially it's like, if you finish solo sixth or better, you're, you've got a really good chance of just locking it up and, mm-hmm. or you can finish 10th, you know, 10th or something like that it's just it's different ways of going about it um yeah so a top you, five goes a long way if you get hot right now like you're back on tour like if you just yeah well, yeah i mean you could i think guys in the past like you could finish second or third in one tournament and not even play the other two you're locked in so yeah um one one great week is all that you need yeah and uh just thinking about going into to this week, how many times have you played the Corn Ferry Tour Finals? Uh, unfortunately, in, in one sense, I've this is my sixth year in a row playing these uh, Corn Ferry Finals. Yeah, since twenty seventeen, I think. Yeah. So uh, technically, six, six in a row. So technically, you're a veteran, and you know exactly what I, you need to do. Yeah, I am. Um, better and i mean there's probably not many guys that have played uh that many in a row honestly i mean because it they haven't been around for all that long um and um so yeah i'm I'm very familiar with these tournaments and these courses and i've i guess technically gotten through these playoffs twice two times out of the five um one didn't count uh because it was during covid Mm -hmm. and so um, but essentially I played well enough in these tournaments to, yep. to do it. And I graduated from these playoffs in 2018. Um, so I've done it a, a few times before. Yeah. So, so, th- so, so t- I can go do it again. So thinking back to last year, it was almost a year ago to today. I think it's like two weeks ago. You had your win on the corn Ferry tour in Omaha. Um, mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. A couple of weeks prior to that, you weren't playing well. I think you were working on your swing. You had a few different things going on. And you didn't play great. And then two weeks later, you win. So talk us through a little bit about that win out there um, and just kind of that whole day because this story is pretty cool, um, just how it came about that final day and you sitting around and whatnot. So Yeah, so a um, little background for that story is just I – I played the tour in 2019 and played pretty terribly and, and hit it terribly. And so I just really felt my swing was, and, and I mean, I think it was pretty factual. My swing was pretty off. And um, so that year in 2020 on corn Ferry, I was just really grinding on my swing. And um, we came back from the COVID break and I thought that I was during the COVID break, I'd kind of found a few, figured a few things out and it wasn't really the case. And I had mixed, missed six cuts in a row and, 
Um, and they weren't really even close. And uh, the tournament, I think Jace, you're referring to, as I finished dead last two weeks before this uh, event in Omaha. And, um, and you shot, you were, you were last by like, I, you shot, I was last by about nine shots. I think I shot 81, 84. Yeah. Um, at, uh, at the, uh, was TBC San Antonio where you now, you, you caddied for me <laughs> this year and we did miss the cut by one, but greatly improved on those, those scores. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I remember just being, in tears uh after that tournament where i finished dead last by so many um just with my wife in the hotel room of, of just like what is going on like this is miserable like i'm so lost um like why is this so hard um like i'm trying so hard why why is why why is my labor so fruitless and um and so yeah i went to omaha and was still kind of lost i remember um Blaine your brother Blaine was uh on the range and he was like trying to encourage me and hey man your swing looks great and it's like feels terrible buddy (laughs) but um play and shoot three over the first day and I'm in like 100 I think I was 113th place and it's just like here we go again like another missed cut and um kind of scraped it around but played good uh on Friday and buried my last two holes to make the cut by one um and then kind of found something on Saturday and, and shot three under. And um, I think I was in 25th place or 20, 27th place, something like that. Um, going into the final day. And I remember asking my caddy, cause I had no idea what the leaders were doing. Cause I was just not even able to process what winning a golf tournament was like. And I said, Hey, what's the lead at? I don't even know. And he said, Oh, it's a 11 under. And I was at, four under and it ended up actually being 12 like he did my caddy didn't even know who what the leading score was because he (laughs) you know was with me missing cuts all the time and it was really windy that day um and just everything kind of clicked and I was making putts and um ended up shooting seven under um made a birdie on the last hole and I was just so excited to kind of I felt like when I birdied 18 that I would that would lock up like a top five finish. And that was just so like beyond my expectations of that week. Um, Cause all I was hoping to do was make a cut. And um, I finished two hours or so before the, um, before the final group. And I remember finishing and signing my scorecard and they were like, Hey, you need to stick around because the conditions were so tough and the course was, was difficult. Um, They're like, you, you need to stick around. And, and that, that put me at 11 under, and the leaders had started at 12 and I was already like tied for the lead or something. Um, and sure enough, uh, I, w- I went back to my hotel room cause I had so much time and just hung out for a little bit and then went back out, did the, you know, warm up while the, you know, the other guys are finishing kind of deal. And sure enough, the leader, you know, missed a birdie putt on the last hole to, to, uh, lose to me by one and ended up winning. It was just mind boggling that somehow my, it was my only win on the corn ferry th- thus far. Um, and it's like, man, I, sheesh, I had so many different swing thoughts, such craziness. And somehow like, it was just almost a God thing. Like I was like, I don't even know how that happened. That's pretty cool. And dis- despite finishing helped. so far ahead of the leaders, 
Um, you still celebrated on 18, though, from what I remember reading. Like, you fist pumped because you thought you had that top five finish. You were <laughs> celebrating already. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, you were literally quoted saying, like, you quoted, you were quoted saying, I fist pumped because I thought I top five or top 10. Yeah. Yeah. I, little did you know. I, uh, right. I, I, there's a video. It was funny because the, uh, Corn Fairy Media, uh, guy, Kevin Price was, like I was having this great round and he kind of was like, you know, he was, he, he told me after he's like, yeah, I, I caught up with you on 17. Cause it's like, this is an incredible round and like, no one's out there to follow you. And like, and he's like, I'm so glad I did. Cause you ended up winning the tournament, but he filmed me making my uh, birdie putt on 18. And that's the only video they have of me for the whole round. Um, I love and it, Kevin. I fist bumped that. just, Yeah. I fist pumped just because, again, like for me, it was just like, yes, I think that'll be top five. Nice, like great tournament. <laughs> and sure enough, it was to it ended up being to win the win the golf tournament. So That's almost so cool. to Sorry. me, hearing all all this description of this week, it's almost the opposite of what almost every sports psychologist or mental coach teaches. Like you never even once thought about winning. It sounds like, and you were just oh off. no, I yeah, I was asked about it, and. Um, there weren't any leaderboards out there because it was like during the COVID kind of era where there were no fans and so therefore they didn't have leaderboards up and there was just nobody out there really. Um, and so I didn't really have any idea. I just knew that I was, I had a special round going because it was really tough conditions. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was just one of those things like, man, one more birdie would be just so clutch if I, you know, rolled this, whatever it was 20 25 footer in and it and it went in and it's just like it was just a fist bump of like capping off such a great day and like man that's gonna be a top five like it's gotta be or it's gotta be a fifth place finish like that's big and yeah never would have thought i never thought about winning once um and was shocked that they said oh you gotta stick around or hey you could win this thing or something it's like oh i had no idea um and that, I so. love that's such a golf story because you went from what was it, eighteen over or whatever, like the week before. Yeah, two over, weeks before. Two weeks before, and then um, shooting eleven under and winning in crazy conditions. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, you're uh, never as close as you think. You're never as far. Like it's always a very fine line, um, but a really, really cool story. Uh, but yeah. I'd love to talk about maybe another win that you had. Um, cause this past weekend, uh, I was up in North Alabama playing golf at the great Silver Lakes, Robert Trent Jones. And you probably don't even remember this cause we talked about it, uh, last time we spoke and you're like, yeah, I won some crappy little tournament in North Alabama. And that was actually the home tournament of my alma mater, <laughs> Jacksonville state. So where does, where does the Grub Mart Invitational win? <laughs> Rank well, it's funny because as among your wins. I didn't know you were going to ask this, as you're saying, what I don't even know, what did you say, Silver Lakes? Silver I'm Lakes. literally going, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best part is we Silver talked Lakes. about this before. <laughs> what is going on? Well, yeah, I didn't know that was the name of the course. Yep, Silver Lakes. But yeah, what's funny is, I mean, I'm going to just be honest about all this, but uh, I was not playing well in college. I was a sophomore and I couldn't make the team at Georgia Tech. And, and so, um, um, 
our head coach took like basically our our main team to go play a legit tur- or not a legit tur- well sorry i'm so a, glad a, uh, that you said that <laughs> a more well no you'll get it a more like in my mind when a bigger I was there, division like a one bigger tournament. division one you know tournament that georgia tech would play in and then it was basically like all right you guys that didn't make the team you know that aren't making the team like you know the b team like hey you guys are going to go play in this tournament you know your assistant coach is going to take you and you guys are going to play as individuals because it was like three or four of us so we didn't even make up like a full team and we're going to play in the grub mart invitational you know and with it was like a some you know some smaller d1 and d2 schools and so for me it was just kind of like i was excited to be able to play but also you know you're kind of like yeah i'm missing out on like what my team's doing they're they're somewhere playing against you know some big teams but it was in it actually was a really meaningful week to me because um a win is a win no matter where it is and like but what's funny is i didn't really play well the first day i remember i made a quad on 18 um i hit it in the water like twice or something it was like this par four around some water or something and um uh so i shot like 76 and then i played better on the second 18 uh the second 18 of we we had 36 18 so the second round i shot like even um and then the final day i shot 66 and it was just so cool to shoot a low score when i hadn't been playing that well and so we finish and i leave or we leave and i didn't find out because it was only a few hours away from tech so then we played early in the morning so then we're back at school at like three or four PM. And then I had tutoring that night at like seven and my coach called me in tutoring and said, he was like, you know, Hey bud, you know, what you doing? I was like, oh, coach, I'm in tutoring. Like, like I, I'm, I'm obeying, like I, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm in he's like, Oh, I know, you know, just want to let you know, how, you know, what do you, what do you think you finished out there? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, he's like, did you know you, you, you won the tournament. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no. So yeah, I had no idea I even won. I found out in tutoring that night. That's awesome. I know, I've never even heard that part of the story. That's great. Yeah, it seems like it's just a pattern with you finding out hours after you know that you actually win a golf yeah. tournament. I hope you this get like where... an eighteenth hole birdie putt to win. Yeah, that you can celebrate and feel it right there in the moment. I know. I I just that's the thing. I this is where like. My golf journey has been very, you know, it's been a lot of struggle with, you know, little bits of success that kind of have kept me going, but it, you know, it's fuel to the fire a little bit that I, I'd like to actually experience what it's like to be in contention for four days. And then like, you're in one of the last groups or the last group on 18 and you make a putt to win a golf tournament. Like it still seems like most golf tournaments are won that way where the, you know, the winner comes from the last two groups, maybe last three. And it's like, I've only experienced that like, you know, a few times in my yeah. career at a lot smaller levels. And so it's like, man, that would be pretty nice to be in contention for four days and, you know, actually win a tournament when everyone thinks you're going to win the tournament. <laughs> and I'd love to hear you just t- share some more stories from being in college maybe what playing for coach Hepler was like qualifying anything you can think of, just kind of give us an understanding of what it was like uh, to play for Georgia tech while you were there. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, Coach uh, Bruce Hepler is like a Hall of Fame coach. He's been there for he's in his man twenty sixth or twenty seventh year now. Um, he just um, he he's totally turned that program into just a historic program of of um, successful or a lot of success in um, in the college ranks and those players. Uh, getting to the PGA tour, but uh, he was also very tough and that's who I wanted to, um, you know, he was a guy that I, I wanted to be my coach because I liked that he was tough and didn't settle for mediocrity and, and, and he really pushed us. And, um, but um, where some of the stories come in, it's like, um, you know, our qualifying process was pretty brutal and, um, and he loved, um, having us play in some pretty tough weather and you know you may think Atlanta doesn't really get that bad but Atlanta can be actually pretty brutal because you can golf year-round it doesn't snow but you get I mean cold uh, you know kind of all the elements of cold rain and wind and yet we had such tough golf courses that we played and so I remember we played in snow several times because it wouldn't stick. So we're just playing in snow. Um, we played uh, typically in the spring, we'd always start playing at East Lake where they have the tour championship that's coming up. And I swear that we played the, like no one's played that golf course as tough as we ever played it because the, like the guys that will play it in a few weeks, they're going to play it in my mind. Like it's going to be somewhat easy because it's going to be nice weather um, and not a lot of wind and ball is going to go far, but we, we played in 40 degrees blowing 30. I remember playing it when the, the, the lake was frozen and guys are bouncing their balls <laughs> onto that. Uh, I guess it now it's the uh, 15th hole. So for those that will be watching in a few weeks, just keep in mind this par three, that's like an Island green. We played it when that water was frozen and guys are would hit bad shots and bounce their balls short into the water onto the green. <laughs> and the bunkers were frozen where I saw I've, I've never seen this before other than at East Lake where it was so cold. A guy bounced his ball out of a bunker, you know, with like a four foot lip onto the green and so, yeah, I mean, and there's a story of this before my time that it was so cold um, that a guy that was kind of behind um, getting onto the team in the last round, he went into the trees and peed on his hands to warm him up so that he could, um, <laughs> oh so he could peel goodness. his hands and go play. And he, he, uh, he qualified. Um, <laughs> That's the best. And so it was just, yeah, we, we played in some pretty brutal conditions. I mean, we, that you know, story would have been so much better if you didn't qualify, but you know, it's a good story of perseverance. Yeah. <laughs> We're all about practice and, uh, yeah, it's just, on this podcast. And that's so the, it's good. Yeah. And that's the thing. Right. Coach Hepler would tell us that story because he wanted us to, it's like he was wanting us to do that. Like, yeah. you know, just Hey guys, your hands. you know, we're going to see what you're made of or be prepared with what it, warmers. what it means for you to, to do that. And, and so, um, yeah, like Toby said, you guys, did you, did y'all know that they invented these things called hand warmers? Yeah, I mean, maybe this was before my time. I mean, this is what this is. We're talking about college kids, though. So, like, oh, true, true. Obviously, you probably you probably forgot those at the dorm room or something, or was running late. But, um, That's yeah, but it incredible. you know it turned into 
us um, being a good team and we were tough and, yeah. and, um, you know, I remember probably the coolest golf, uh, golf story that I can remember of like, we were playing our tournament, um, at golf club of Georgia and, um, it ended up being us and you at UCLA coming down the stretch. And I think we were down by like eight shots with maybe less than nine holes to go. And we kind of fought back and I was in the second to last group standing on 18, which is a par five. And we were two shots back with only two guys to go and hit it up there. And I hit it, hit the green in two or just missed the green in two. And I was like, just terrible lie, terrible shot, short-sighted and, hit this incredible like flop out of the rough and it like went off this bank to like give myself like a six or seven foot downhill slider. And I made that for birdie and everybody got excited. That put us within one. And then Ollie Schneider Jans hit like a five iron to like two feet and made it for Eagle for us to win by one. And we, you know, we came back from, you know, seven or eight, nine shots with less than nine holes to go to win our own tournament. And so just, just to be able to be a part of us doing some cool stuff like that, you know, the, the tough qualifying kind of makes you tough and able to kind of hang in there when the pressure's, um, when the pressure's on. That is so good. Um, I, I got to play at the golf club at Georgia event a couple times and that 18th hole is brutal. Um, my best strategy there was like, get close enough to hit five wood into the back bunker and then just hope to get up and down. So right. and then I would play with Hudson Swafford and watch him hit six iron in. So it was a little different. But um, tell us more about um, just as you think back on college. What were some of the things that you learned, not only about golf, but just what it means to be a competitive golfer, taking care of your business, working hard? What was like one specific thing you learned? Yeah, I, I kind of. I feel like I learned, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind was time management. Um, you know, at Georgia Tech, we, you know, our academics took a lot of our time. Um, there wasn't really like an easy major at, at Georgia Tech. And so, um, you know, and I, I feel like the temptation was always like, oh, well, I'm just here for golf. You know, school's not really that big of a deal, but we, um, I feel like we kind of learned as a team and because there were other guys on our team, even that, you know, came in saying, oh, I don't, I'm not here for school. I'm here for golf. But um, you kind of realize that, Hey, if I take care of my school, if I take care of um, some of these other life things a little bit, get my life in order, then I can actually spend more time on golf um, instead of kind of getting behind. And then right before a tournament, I have to, somehow get all my homework and studying done and all that. And so I just kind of learned time management, just being on time and to things. Um, we'd, we'd get in trouble if we weren't on time to workouts or to qualifying or something like that. And so um, managing your time and learning how to practice, learning how to prepare um, and to taking ownership of your golf um, and making it your own versus, you know, my, you know, my, especially like my dad who, you know, I really needed his help when I was in middle school and high school, um, learning how to, to golf and, and to get into tournaments and all that, all of a sudden you kind of take ownership of it. And, um, and that's kind of what has helped me then 
turn pro and figure out how to do this on my own. No, that's great. Um, so kind of along the same lines, but on the other side of the coin, what was your faith journey like in college? Um, and kind of just even before then, um, I just kind of share a little bit about how you came to know the Lord, walking with the Lord struggles you had in college and whatnot. And, um, yeah. Um, I grew up in a strong Christian home. Um, kind of knew, knew and heard the gospel from at an early age was, you know, grew up at a great church, um, great, great parents. And, um, but kind of my story is just that I was an athlete, um, at a very early age and was pretty gifted at, you know, just athletics in general was always pretty good at whatever sport I played. And my dad saw that and, um, you know, really pushed me to kind of excel in sports. And so I kind of tied, unknowingly tied the gospel into kind of a performance gospel of because again I, I just remember my, my dad kind of pushed me um but you know he kind of coached me and so it, it the way that I looked at things was if I did my job of performing well at my athletics then like my family was happy you know and they were excited and then if I didn't play well or do something well like it just seemed like everyone was disappointed and disappointed in me. And so then it kind of, that kind of shaped my view of the gospel. And so uh, when I got to school at Georgia tech, like I just was super motivated to kind of feel like, man, I'm going to be the the college star. Um, and um, didn't, didn't happen. I mean, I, I, I didn't play well. It took me a long time to, even get on the team. I just really struggled ever since I went, once I got there. Um, and it kind of rocked my faith to where it just, you know, my view of God was, you know, always oh, punishing me for something I've done. And, and he's, he's just, it's kind of cruel. He just, he just kind of likes to make my life miserable for the sake of, you know, making me a better person or something. And so um, it took me a while it, it was, it was a couple of years into college that I started understanding grace and, um, and that, you know, I'm free to fail because Christ performed on my behalf. And, um, and, and I mean, even now I still am working through that because I, I have had, I've spent so many years of my life, um, kind of living under that in a sense, like kind of, diluted gospel that um my performance kind of plays a part in in, in it in, in what i do and, and what people think of me and, and what how god thinks of me and, and um yeah, yeah and i think that's um, good and i think it's good for guys to hear is that every single person who's listening all three of us like we have a default view of god and that default view that human default view that we have is incorrect and as we grow and as we come to know the Lord and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit more, our goal is to align our default view with who he is. But what we just run back to initially in all circumstances is generally a little bit off. And like you know, like you were sharing Seth about performance and you know people being disappointed in you and then that transitioning to God. Like I've wrestled through that. I know Toby has anybody who's played golf has wrestled through that. Um but I think those of you who are listening and you know, kind of hearing this, 
like understand you're not alone in you know, that thinking. And our goal is to get that thinking in alignment with the word and having a correct view of the Lord. Um, but I like that you pointed to that you're still wrestling through that. You're still trying to work through that because you're never going to, you know, completely figure that out 100%. Yeah, and so talking about that being a current struggle as well, uh, just in this season of life right now, what is the Lord teaching you? Um, what are you learning about when you're in the Word? Uh, tell us tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, again, what I'm kind of working through is, is a lot of, a lot of what we just kind of mentioned, it's just something I'm, um, it's just kind of like a golf swing where you, you have your certain tendencies and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I always, you know, I'm working on this tendency that I have. And, and for me, I, I easily get caught up in these kind of selfish desires that, you know, I will kind of use this, you know, spiritual excuse of, you know, Hey, uh, you know, my desire is to be one of the best golfers in the world. Um, and, to, you know, in a sense, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be in the limelight and, and making lots of money and, and, uh, just competing at the highest level with the, the best players. And, and, um, you know, and so then when that doesn't happen and I struggle, um, you know, I, I kind of get into the thinking of, you know, Hey God, like, this isn't fun. Like, you know, you've gifted me to do this. Why would you make it tough? Um, and, but so I'm, I'm kind of learning and, and um, have, have been spending some time in, in Romans 8 and, um, and just really kind of wrestling with the sovereignty of God and that he's in control, but he's in control for my good. But yet that um, control isn't, um, it, can, it can be beyond my understanding. There's things that like I only have a, a I have a small amount of understanding and if god is who he says he is then his his wisdom and understanding is far beyond mine and far beyond um even you know the world's um you know put all the humans together just beyond their wisdom and and so i have to trust that he is faithful that his promises are true he's never um gone back on his promises and, and he is working all these things for my good. And yet, so, you know, somehow it's kind of this upside down <clears throat> world that, uh, of the gospel that something that seems bad can be used for my good. Um, and that, um, and I feel like it's, softening my heart towards God and seeing that, you know, man, he cares enough about me that he's not going to give me what I want because it's not going to really make me more like Christ. And that's ultimately what I want. And so there's this quote from, um, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, where she says that, you know, God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And, um, you know, God will use bad golf, you know, in my career, you know, to save me from, um, man, the, the selfishness, the pride, the entitlement of thinking, man, I'm, I'm invincible. I'm the man 
um, you know, I, I have achieved, you know, or I've gotten what I've, you know, idolized. Um, and I think for me now where I'm at personally, is just taking a deep breath and, and accepting that and saying, God, you're good. You know, there's something that I don't see, but I, I'm going to be open to what you have for me. And so dying, you know, I feel like I have to die to my desires um, and my goals almost every day. And I kind of, I'm realizing that I don't do that very well, but you know, um, Jesus kind of said, you have to die to your life in order to find it and, you know, or lose your life in order to find it. And I just feel like I have to die to these wishes and submit my will to the Lord. And that's where I will probably find more joy in life in him. Yeah. I mean, cause we, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on previous podcasts, but we always we just have this false reality of when I arrive at goal A, then I'm going to be satisfied, and then once I get there, you know, I'm going to have a new goal, but then I'll be satisfied there. And there's guys that I know that, you know, if they were in your position, Seth, they think I'm going to like that's where I need to be. And then you may think like, well, if I get up to where Sam Burns is, like then I'm going to be fully satisfied. But it's we never reach that point where we are until we're fully satisfied in the Lord. And then when we are there and Webb talked about this a little bit on his, like that's when I can find full freedom and that's when I can perform completely. And it is so hard to do, but like you mentioned a little bit earlier, Seth, like God is faithful. He's always been faithful. He's always fulfilled his promises. And if he says that, if we come to him and we're thirsty and we'll never thirst again once we fall in love with him and we find our home with him, then like we can trust it and we can trust that. Yeah, and Seth, I'd like to hear, just as you talk about kind of learning how to trust in the goodness of God versus kind of what your picture of what a good life is going to be or what you want, your desires, what are some kind of practical things that you do, um, even when you're traveling, to be in the Word uh, think through some things. Like, what is the time? What does your time with the Lord look like? Uh, so for me, I feel like I've experimented with all sorts of different um, kind of ways of going about it. But I've I've found that just kind of first thing in the morning is the best um, for me. Um, kind of just make a cup of coffee and and. Um, get to reading and, and so I have different, uh, you know, kind of Bible, uh, reading plans I'll go through and a, a devotional, um, that I, I do every month. Um, and I, I'm typically reading like a, a Christian book or something that, um, uh, on a topic I want to grow in. Um, but, um, I feel like when I'm in the best place with all that is I'm just kind of making, I'm doing something. I'm almost allowing it to extend throughout my whole day. Um, I, I feel like it's easy to kind of check it off my to-do list in the morning and then just move on and, and kind of go through my whole day thinking about for me golf or, or what I've got to go, uh, what I've got to do that day. Um, but I feel like my days are most fruitful when, um, I am taking 
my reading um, in the morning and, and then kind of meditating on it or, or using then applying uh, using it tying it into a sermon that I'll listen to in the car or um, some worship music I'll listen to on the course or you know practicing something like that where because um, that's something I feel like I'm I'm kind of trying to learn honestly as I've been um, uh, I'm kind of a Christian church history you know little uh, or I'm kind of getting into that sort of um, that stuff a little bit and, and reading about it and and basically there's this time period of these guys called the Puritans that were just uh, super spiritual guys that just kind of got it and um, back in like the 1500s through 1700s and like everything that they wrote it's just like mic drops like constantly um, and they're they're just so wise and like they're they're big on meditating and it's just funny that in our culture today like there's so much of this like meditating and breathing and and all that and and i think what i'm trying to learn is how do i take what i've take what i've read and then meditate on it and, and kind of chew on it in my mind the rest of the day and i think that's something i'm not good at but i um want to grow towards that's so good um and just it's so funny how common just the topic of meditation is now um, and then the idea of like a secular meditation of trying to empty your mind um, as if that's going to get you to some better understanding of yourself. But with Christian meditation, like what these Puritans talk about, like, and you were saying, filling your mind with God's word and what you've been reading and filling your mind with the truth of God's word and letting that, and they use the word chewing on it like throughout the day. That's so good because it's so easy to, go, okay, well, I knocked out um, the reading plan for the morning, and then you move along the rest of your day. Uh, but meditating on what you've been learning is such an important thing for kind of like letting that extend through the rest of the day and that relationship with the Lord going beyond just being at the coffee table in the morning. What, yeah. um, what are some books you're reading right now? Give us one or two. Um. So I am reading uh, Dane Ortland's, I guess, newer, newish book. Uh, he wrote Gentle and Lowly um, that came out a few years ago, uh, which I highly recommend. It was that was super good for me because um, essentially he's, he's saying that Jesus describes himself um, and the two words that he uses to describe himself, like he only describes himself or speaks of himself, like, or his character, like, I think only in this one verse in Matthew. And, and he uses the words of all the words he could use. I am gentle and lowly. And then he just writes this whole book on that. And, um, and, and even how God says in Exodus, like, um, um, talks about his steadfast love. And it's like, man, here I am, as I've just said earlier, like, I viewed God and Jesus as harsh and perfectionistic, demanding, and yet Jesus says he is gentle and lowly. And it is my sin that actually draws Jesus closer to me. It's not what pushes him away. 
Jesus loves to come near to sinners. And we see that in the gospels. And so that was great. Highly recommend. And so now he came out, Dane Ortland came out with this book called deeper and it's basically, okay, how do we now grow um, in our walk? And um, man, it's, it's good. Just understanding, you know, kind of how that process starts and where Christians can kind of, falter in their walk and what and and um you know ultimately it's um never leaving the gospel it's it's always coming back to the gospel um versus like okay here's the gospel now i'm going to go move on to these other things uh you know and understanding who jesus is more more deeply and and so forth and so it's been really good as well um so i I highly recommend those yeah great book um all right, so we've hit the 45-minute mark. So what I think would be fun to do is move into our rapid-fire questions. We don't have a lot. It's funny we call them rapid-fire. <laughs> that we talk about them for five minutes. they lead to a lot of good conversation. <laughs> um, so Eventually, we'll have actual rapid-fire where you just have to answer them. Yeah. But they've evolved into another five to ten minutes of For now, podcast. we'll keep calling it rapid-fire. We'll call it kind okay. of, you know, soft slowish fire questions just going on a jog this description is exactly what they are (laughs) all right so favorite meal of the day breakfast all right Mm. so what do you eat on the road for breakfast well about five pounds of overnight oats (laughs) so yeah so that's the thing i yeah i um have been kind of fascinated by nutrition and, and, and fitness and all that. And, and so, um, and I kind of had some digestive, you know, just issues growing up and all that. And so it just really kind of wanted me to understand like, Hey, what's the perfect diet for me? And lo and behold, I did some stupid, crazy diets in college that, you know, my teammates still make fun of me for. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I've, I've, what Jace is referring to, I've, I've been kind of more vegan plant-based the last couple of years. And, and so therefore I was just in the morning, just crushing oats, um, and eating oatmeal and overnight oats. And, um, but you now I'm more, kind of experiencing more oatmeal in a week than I had ever seen a human being eat in their life. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh, did you make that for the week? And he was done with it that morning. And I was like, what is yep. happening? It's awesome. But, uh, now I'm kind of experimenting again on, on, um, kind of a more, uh, I don't know, like lower, not even lower carb, just, just like, um, yeah, I guess more lower carb kind of stuff. So I'm I'm doing more like eggs, bacon and, uh, avocado toast now, but still oatmeals, oatmeals in there as like my snack. So I'm still crushing that. So, um, yeah, it's ever changing, ever evolving. Don't think I, I, at this point, I don't think I'm ever going to figure it out. Like there's just like, it's so funny how we think we know so much in 2022. And yet we, we literally don't know anything like all these doctors that are nutritionists. There's all these smart doctors that are vegans. And then there's all these smart doctors that are now like carnivore or, paleo keto and it's like 
guys, we're, we can't even come up with any common ground. Like yeah, we, I mean, we don't know anything. I mean, Tim Tebow, he's been keto for like 14 years and you know, I'd like to look like Tim Tebow. So maybe I'll go keto. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, since you're teeing off seven 30 tomorrow, do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. Just keep going down this rabbit trail before we go to the other questions. But <laughs> <laughs> so, what does breakfast look like when you're teeing it up seven thirty? What time? Um, are you, what are you eating? Good, good question. Yeah. So I, I, uh, that's where I, I will probably do either some. You know, some scrambled eggs and some oatmeal or something because oatmeal is like really fast and easy. Um, you can kind of do the overnight oats thing and, and prepare them at the night before, and then they're just like right there, ready to go. Um, so, what time are you waking up air... for seven thirty a.m. tea time? Um, probably like four thirty, four forty-five ish, something like that. I'm close to the course uh, this week, so I, I could probably sleep in a little bit longer because I don't have a drive. I'm like three, three or four minutes away from the course, which is really nice, but. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I, you know, I've, I've got a long kind of warm up um, that I do before I get to the course. And so I'll be doing that for about 45 minutes or so, an hour. Um, and then just kind of, I, I warm up at the course for about an hour. So that's, that puts me at like five thirty. So yeah. I like to wake up and, and I, you know, I want to have some sort of, uh, quiet time. Um, yeah, and I kind of got inspired. I, at green Greensboro, I, um, um, did a Q and a, um, like kind of a Christian Q and a thing with Ben Martin and, and Aaron Baddeley. And I've gotten to know Aaron Baddeley reasonably well over the last couple of years. Um, and just admire him and his faith walk so, so much. And, um, he was sharing how, he whenever he needs to wake up he wakes up an hour earlier than that so that he can spend time with the lord and and so i was just kind of inspired so he was like giving examples and he's like yeah if i need to wake up at five i wake up at four if i need to wake up at 4 30 i wake up at 3 30 and so i was just like whoa so very inspired by that that's um, awesome that man and um and his faith and so i i have always tried to even on an early morning tea time, have some sort of, um, time with the Lord or, um, I mean, a, a little thing that I do that, um, may be helpful to other players or college golfers even is like, I, I've always liked to listen to books and things. And so there's, um, Bible apps or there's, um, the dwell app where I, I listen to the Bible and kind of go through reading plans as I'm warming up or something. So it's like, I, think I just think I, it's so important. I think to, I conv- convinced you, I think we were in Chattanooga to buy the year long, or I mean the lifetime like dwell pass. Yep. Yeah, and you're yeah, they had a it. deal. It was like a black Black Friday deal. Yeah, and Jace convinced me to um, to go for it. So yeah, I still I use it pretty much every day. So it's paid off. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's so that's something like you know the word of God is just so powerful um, mm. that I think some you know especially maybe college kids it's like man you got an 8 a.m class where you got workouts at 6 a.m it's like I, I don't have time and then you know i get back from the golf course it's i gotta study it's like what do i do mm. it's like well uh, you know 
everybody, all these college kids, you got headphones in, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing something on your way to class or whatever, like, you know, like I even read the Bible on my phone. Like I've, I, I have that accessible to me when I need it and I can't bring my Bible or something wherever I am. And so just, um, you know, technology can, can get us into trouble a little bit or can distract us, but also God has used it to, mm-hmm. um, that's good. You know, how cool is it that we you know all have Bibles in our pockets now, um, yeah. and stuff. And so, and we can listen to it. There's so many ways. So I just utilize those and don't feel like you're, you know, not doing the, the right thing of using your paper Bible. Like, you know, there's times where you got to be flexible and do whatever you can to get the word of God in your, in your mind. Yeah, that's good. All right. So going on to our second rapid fire question, seven minutes in, uh, what is your dream foursome dead or alive? Oh man. Okay. I'm a little bit more prepared for this. Cause, um, I was asked this at that, uh, Christian, uh, breakfast Q and a thing I did a couple weeks ago, but I, it's ever changing honestly, but right now, um, I would love Ben Hogan because I would love to ask him how to hit iron, you know, how to, you know, ask him golf questions. And then I would also throw in tiger because I'd love to ask him. He's the greatest iron player ever as well. So it's like, I'd love to just pick their brains and then just obviously the history side of golf with Ben Hogan, Tiger asking him all, you know, I mean, you could ask him all sorts of stuff and, you know, champion mindset, but then I'd love to throw in RC Sproul, who's my mm-hmm. favorite theologian. Uh, Cause he was a really good golfer. Yeah. Um, he was like a scratch golfer for a long time. And um, so he could kind of hang, you know, he wouldn't be terrible. He could hang with us. Um, but also just kind of throw in that spiritual piece. Love that. Um, for that foursome, it'd be, we'd probably need to play 36 holes. Yeah, for sure. Um, for to sure. just have enough time to get all the conversations we wanted yeah. to have in, but it would be pretty special. Yeah. Well, let me- I actually, I heard Tiger talking about iron play yesterday. I saw a little clip and he literally said when his irons would start struggling, all that he, he did not even think about where it was going, how it was shaping, all that he worried about was hitting it flush. And like, it's very simple. And sometimes like, like, well, of course he hit it flush, but like sometime when his iron play started going away, all that he thought was like, how can I make just the best contact? I don't care where it goes. I just want to make good contact with it. And then from that though, you can figure out how to hit it good. That just came to me right there. So yeah. There's, yeah. There's that's good. Flush. Tiger flush is a whole nother level too. It's- <laughs> but as long as you can just hit it, your flush you can figure it out from there. I got to encourage you and point this out that Ben Hogan didn't win his first major until he was 34 years old. So, you know, oh, be encouraged with that. Um, on the my dad always reminds me of that. So yeah. that's where I at so least you got plenty of time. And that's where golf is such a great sport is that even if you feel like you're a late bloomer, you're never out of time. No. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, because you know, even when the tour is filled with such, you know, all these young guns and stuff, it's like, there's still older guys that are playing really great and winning golf tournaments and all that. And so that kind of gives me some hope. All right. So. Final question. Answer quickly. <laughs> and then we're wrapped up. <laughs> all right. If you could hop on a jet right now, fly somewhere, one course you'd really want to play today. Um, man, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry to kind of give another, an answer that's already been given, but, uh, I've never played St. Andrews. So, oh, nice. um, 
Um, so that's kind of one of those. I've never been to Scotland, never, or, um, or just anywhere over there to um, to play, and so would love to to play some some golf over there. And then it was just inspiring with the 150th US or British Open and all that, and yeah. just to, um, to see all the the shots those guys were hitting over there and stuff. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny because Blaine said St. Andrews, and then he said, you know, like my dream for some would just be my brothers and my dad. And he's like, but, you know, my real answer is this. Well, we're I have a buddy who's getting married at St. Andrews next year. I'm going to be there. My dad's going to be there. My other brother's going to be there. And I'm like, Blaine, we can literally fulfill your dream if you just come to Scotland <laughs> next year. So we'll see if we can make that happen. But Seth, thank you so much uh, for sitting down with us. Uh, so much just fun conversation, really good insight, and uh, we'll be rooting for you these next three weeks. Um, you're a great friend, uh, great partner to our ministry, and I know I'm super thankful for you, and I think Toby can say the same. Oh, yeah. So uh, really enjoyed uh, just hearing more about what's going on with you right now, and like we said, we, we'll be cheering you on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate all that you do. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGF Tweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.